Hello, this is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast. Welcome to the second episode. If you want to know more about my background and interest in the subject of food ingredients, please tune in to the first episode. I'll just say here that I've had an interest in food science for almost 30 years. I am retired now, but earlier in my life I worked as a chemistry educator for 10 years, then as a research analytical chemist for a multinational food ingredients company, where I learned a great deal about the additives and commercial foods and where those materials come from. I want to share this information with you in an exploratory, easy-to-understand, hopefully, and light-hearted way. This is a 100% guaranteed free podcast. It won't cost you anything, and I swear that I will never ask you for money. I have no sponsors or financial supporters. All the opinions expressed in the podcast are mine, and I promise that I won't promote any business, commercial product, or organization. I just wish to keep this podcast authentic. All I ask of you is to give me your time, which I know is valuable, and if you are so inclined, drop me a note, questions or comments, at this email address, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Also, if you could leave a review at the iTunes store and at my YouTube channel, search on Food Labels Revealed, I would greatly appreciate it. Today, I'm going to investigate the ingredients and nutritional value of Banquet's Frozen Chicken Strip Meal. There is an acronym for the kinds of foods that many Americans eat these days. It's called SAD, which stands for the Standard American Diet. The product that I'll be looking at today is truly sad. I hate to admit that I routinely gobble down these kinds of foods as both a kid and a young adult. Of course, as a kid, I really didn't have a choice. I had to eat what was served or what I could find in the house. But in all honesty, I really enjoyed those frozen TV dinners, with the exception of pot pies. Gag. The food industry introduced them in the 1950s, and they quickly became a hit with families. Here was a meal that had everything in one frozen aluminum platter. It had the meat, the vegetable, the dessert. All you had to do was pop the frozen dinner in the oven, heat it until everything got hot, maybe 30 minutes or so, then chow down. They were called TV dinners because typically mothers would grab these frozen dinners on weekends when our favorite television shows were on, like Walt Disney, and we would get out the TV trays, plop the hot dinners on them, and commence to eat and watch our favorite programs. It was really great fun, and I truly look forward to it, even more than my mother's home cooking. The thought would never have crossed my mind about what garbage I was eating until much later in life. Of course, now I wonder how many years of my life I lost from eating that crappy food. The other wonderful aspect of frozen TV dinners was how cheap they were. Sometimes the grocery stores had them on sale for 10 for a dollar. That's 10 cents each. Even today, these frozen foods are still cheap, and, and you could often find them uh, for just a dollar each. 
I don't know why it took me such a long time to connect the cheapness of these products with their low quality. But when you're young and don't have much money, you really don't think about such things. Okay, let's look at our lunch choice here. The description on the box says, quote, Made with 100% natural chicken breast with rib meat. Banquet invites you to pull up a chair and enjoy classic made-in-America comfort food. Like you, we believe in quality and good, honest value. And trust, you'll taste it in our delicious chicken strips that are served with a helping of creamy macaroni and cheese and sweet corn. By the way, Banquet is owned by the giant conglomerate known as ConAgra. Well, let's start by naming the ingredients which are listed according to each dish in the dinner. So first we have the breaded chicken patties. In them, we have chicken breast with rib meat, water, breadcrumbs, and the breadcrumbs, bleached wheat, flour, salt, dextrose, yeast, soybean oil, spice, extractives of paprika, texturized soy flour, batter mix. In the batter mix, we have yellow corn flour, cornstarch, dextrose, salt, spices, sugar, autolyzed yeast extract, modified cornstarch, garlic powder, guar gum, leavening, and in the leavening, we have sodium acid, pyrophosphate, sodium bicarbonate, monocalcium phosphate. Then we have soy flour, modified cornstarch, salt, autolyzed yeast extract, sodium tripolyphosphate, and flavorings. <sighs> okay, and then we have macaroni and cheese sauce. In the sauce, we have water, cheddar, club cheese. In the, in the cheese, we have pasteurized cultured milk, salt, enzymes, annatto, modified whey, soybean oil, modified cornstarch, nonfat dry milk, cheese flavor. In the flavor, we have whey, cheese, granular blue pasteurized milk, cheese, culture, salt, and enzymes. Then we have sunflower oil, maltodextrin, salt, sodium phosphate, citric acid, lactic acid, salt, sugar, datum, sodium phosphate, xanthan gum, citric acid, guar gum, maltodextrin, beta carotene. <sighs> and then the macaroni. We have water, elbow macaroni, and that we have enriched pasta, durum, wheat, semolina, niacin, ferrous, sulfate, thiamine, mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid, and then lastly, the corn. And in the corn, we have corn, water, sugar, and salt. There are so many things in this dinner, and combinations of things, that it's really difficult to count how many total ingredients there really are. I estimate that there are around 61 items, if you don't count water as an ingredient. So here is a frozen dinner with three food items, but there are actually over 60 things being consumed. Discussing 60 components would take a long time, so I will eliminate the basic, common, and innocuous ones and just talk about those additives which you would not normally be adding to your home-cooked food. So I'm going to skip such things as water, salt, sugar, etc., but I will still number the ingredients as if I was talking about all of them. Now, as this podcast unfolds, some ingredients will show up repeatedly. For items that I've already talked about in detail before, I'll refer you back to a previous episode and just touch on them lightly here or just skip them. 
Let's start with the main ingredient, chicken breast with rib meat. Remember that items are listed in the largest amount by weight. So it makes sense that chicken is the major component of the breaded chicken patty. Now, food manufacturers don't have to tell you what's in meat, since it's considered a natural product, but you should be aware that lots of chemicals wind up in the animals raised and slaughtered for meat. These chemicals come from the feed, medicines, and the polluted environment that most chickens are raised in. Some of the chemicals wind up in the meat and then eventually in you. The ingredients in meat are beyond the scope of this podcast, but if you're curious, you can Google the subject or read the following book, Mad Cowboy, colon, Plain Truth from the Cattle Rancher Who Won't Eat Meat. The authors are Howard Lyman and Glenn Mercer. Warning, you may be shocked by what you read. All right, let's start with the breadcrumbs uh, used to coat the chicken patty. The third ingredient is bleached white flour. Well, looks like that's the ingredient of the day. In each podcast, there will be one ingredient which will get some extra special attention. Bleached white, bleached wheat flour is milled wheat that has been bleached. Bleached as in Clorox bleached? Well, not exactly. Bleaching flour changes some physical and chemical properties of the flour to aid in different baking processes, but the main reason for bleaching is to turn the color of flour white. Natural wheat flour has a light yellow or brown tint to it due to the presence of proteins. Many years ago, when whitened bread was introduced to the public, it really cut on with people and eventually became the preferred type of bread. But bakers needed chemicals that could bleach wheat flour without adversely affecting its taste and baking properties. Chemists to the rescue. Early on, in the first half of the 20th century, a chemical called agene, also known as nitrogen trichloride, was used for that purpose. This chemical was used to bleach 80 to 90 percent of the flour in America and England. But it was eventually found that dogs who ate the treated flour went stark raving mad and sometimes died. Not good. So aging was banned in 1949 after many years of people eating its residue in white bread. And so it was replaced by other chemicals, such as chlorine dioxide, that's the main chemical used today, peroxides, such as benzoyl peroxide and calcium peroxide, nitrogen dioxide, chlorine, and azodicarbonamide. That's a lot of chemistry, just so that we all can have the delicious white bread. Note that the label doesn't tell us what bleaching agent was used. Seems that the FDA doesn't deem that information important enough to reveal on the food label. The fifth ingredient is dextrose. That's a sweetener, and you may know it by its more common name of glucose, also known as blood sugar. But dextrose is a very industrial food ingredient typically sourced from corn. To briefly describe how it's made, cornstarch is separated from corn kernels. 
Then a liquid mixture of the cornstarch is broken down by acid or enzymes, or a combination of the two, at elevated temperatures and pressures, until a liquid mixture of dextrose is formed. Then the water is removed to give the crystalline dextrose a white powder. The whole process is done in a factory with pipes, pumps, vats, heaters, and chemical supply lines. Dextrose is a common ingredient found in many food products, and its main purpose is to contribute, of course, sweetness. The eighth ingredient is spice. Now, that's a rather generic word. It looks like the FDA does not require the food manufacturer to even tell us which spices are used. If you have a spice allergy, you're in trouble here. The tenth ingredient is extractives of paprika. It was mentioned in the first episode that natural flavors are often used in commercial foods, but they are often not very natural. In this case, flavors from paprika were isolated by some solvent extraction process where a liquid organic solvent is used to remove the flavor components. The soluble portion is isolated, and that is what is added as the ingredient in the food. Here, the banquet company was nice enough to tell us what the flavoring was, but it's odd that this spice is named unlike the earlier ones, which were unnamed. That's it for the breadcrumbs. The eleventh ingredient is texturized soy flour. What is this stuff? Texturized soy protein. Or texturized soy flour. Well, here's where it gets interesting because there's a backstory to this ingredient. We have to start with soybeans. First, the oil from the soybeans is extracted or removed using hexane, a gasoline-like solvent. The leftover material is defatted soy flour. After the residual hexane is removed, the soy flour is mixed with water to make a stiff dough-like substance. That material is mechanically forced under pressure through a metal die. This process is known as extrusion. As the soy leaves the extruder, it becomes a spongy, meat-like material. That is, it has been texturized. It's then dried, making it a durable and shelf-stable food product. A more common name for texturized soy flour is TVP, or stand, well, that stands for texturized vegetable protein, and is commonly used as an extender in meats. The next items make up the batter mix used to coat the chicken breast. The 12th through 17th ingredients are common. Yellow corn flour, cornstarch, dextrose, salt, spices, sugar, and they won't be discussed here. Note that the corn flour, cornstarch, and dextrose all come from corn, most likely genetically modified corn. The 18th ingredient is autolyzed yeast extract. Now that sounds interesting. Simply put, it's a flavor enhancer. Now to make this stuff, yeast is suspended in salt water. The salt causes the yeast cells to shrivel up and release enzymes that break the cells down. The water-soluble part of the cells stays in solution and the solid cell parts are removed. The excess water is stripped away to form a liquid paste or the product may be spray-dried to produce a powder. In the ingredient name is the word autolyzed, which literally means self-destroying, 
followed by the word extract, which means a soluble portion of the yeast cells have been removed from the insoluble parts. Now, people who are sensitive to monosodium glutamate, or MSG, should stay away from autolyzed yeast extract, since MSG is a component of that mixture. The 19th ingredient is modified cornstarch. I went into detail about this type of ingredient in episode 1, so I'll refer you back to that episode. The explanation is pretty complicated. The 21st ingredient is guar gum. This is vegetable gum, well, it is a vegetable gum, used as a thickener. It comes from a bean and is pretty innocuous. The next ingredients make up the leavening agent used in the batter mix. The 22nd ingredient is sodium acid pyrophosphate, also known as SAPP. This chemical is a key part of the leavening agent as it combines with sodium bicarbonate to produce carbon dioxide gas, which helps to raise the batter up. SAPP is not a food, but it is an industrial chemical made in a factory. The 24th ingredient to complete the leavening mix is monosodium phosphate. This is another industrial chemical probably present to assist the reaction of SAPP and sodium bicarbonate. As a health note, people with kidney or chronic kidney disease need to watch their intake of phosphate as a high concentration can increase mortality. That means death. The 25th ingredient is soy flour. That's common. However, notice how much corn and soy are in this dinner. I'll come back to this observation at the end of the investigation. The 29th ingredient is sodium tripolyphosphate, also known as STPP. This is also an industrial compound and may be added to the chicken patties to retain moisture or to prevent spoilage. The STPP can trap metals which can cause oxidation or the rancidity of fat. The 30th ingredient is flavorings. Again, here is a generic term that could represent dozens, if not hundreds, of things. Notice that the phrase natural flavorings is not used, so likely synthetic flavoring agents were used. We just don't know what they were. That's it for the chicken breast. Now on to the cheese sauce used in the macaroni and cheese. Hey, let's take a break. It's joke time. Why didn't the skeleton go to his friend's party? He had nobody to go with. (laughs) All right, back to the story. The next group of food components make up the cheddar club cheese. There are 25 of them. Yes, I said 25. The 32nd ingredient is pasteurized cultured milk. Of course, pasteurization is named after Louis Pasteur, the French scientist in the mid-1800s, who discovered that heating wine and beer killed the bacteria that caused spoilage. Milk is typically heated to 161 degrees Fahrenheit for 15 seconds. Cultured milk is milk that has been fermented with lactic acid bacteria and is also called soured milk. 
All kinds of products are made from this soured milk, including buttermilk, cheese, and curd. The 34th ingredient is enzymes. Not very specific here. However, we know that food-grade enzymes are used in the cheese-making process. Typically, they come from rennet, an enzyme complex isolated from the stomachs of ruminant animals. The 35th ingredient is annatto, with the word color in brackets. Annatto is a common natural food coloring used in the cheese-making process. It imparts a yellow or orange color, which makes sense for cheddar cheese. This coloring may cause an allergic reaction to those people sensitive to it, but it is generally considered safe. Has cheddar cheese always had a coloring added to, added to it? No. Cows that are f- grass-fed produce a light orange milk due to carotenoids in the grass. Think carrots. But few cows in this country are grass-fed anymore, so cheddar cheese needs a color additive. The 36th ingredient is modified whey. Let's just start with the word whey. When cheese is made, a portion of the milk is curdled. When that solid curdled material is separated to make cheese, the liquid part left behind is called whey, W-H-E-Y. When the water is removed, the solid residue is whey protein, one of the two types of proteins in milk. But the whey also contains any water-soluble substances that were in the milk, such as lactose. If you happen to be lactose intolerant, you should avoid products with whey in them. Because it is rich in amino acids, whey also is sold separately as a health supplement, particularly for bodybuilders. Now, what is modified whey? Now, that that one's hard to get at. It's kind of like modified starch in that it's a generic name that can be applied to whey protein that has been altered in numerous ways. For example, if smaller protein molecules are removed from whey, then a type of modified whey called whey protein isolate is obtained. The different modified forms provide some physical or chemical benefit uh, to the food manufacturer, but without more specific information, it can't be figured out here what the purpose of the modified whey is in this cheddar cheese sauce. The 39th ingredient is non-fat dry milk. Of course, this is just milk that has had the cream or fat and water removed to give a white powder. The next ingredients in the cheddar cheese sauce provide the cheese flavoring. The 41st ingredient is granular and blue cheese. Now, why blue cheese is in the cheddar cheese sauce is odd. I have no explanation for that one. The 43rd ingredient is maltodextrin. Maltodextrins are actually a mixture of semi-sweet molecules that result from the incomplete industrial breakdown of starch, usually cornstarch, by acid or enzymes. These products are, u- are used as bulking agents and can impart a mild to moderate sweetness to foods. The 45th ingredient is sodium phosphate. This is probably added as an anti-clumping agent. However, it's not only a source of sodium, but the phosphate could be a problem for people with kidney disease. The 45th ingredient is citric acid. Although found in nature, citric acid 
as a food ingredient is generally manufactured in a chemical plant using complicated industrial processes and hazardous chemicals. Since citric acid is so common, I may come back to it in a later episode and explain how it is made in some detail. In the cheese sauce, it's probably used as a mild acid uh, to provide some tartness. The 46th ingredient is lactic acid. It also is a weak acid like citric and provides some tartness. Although natural, the commercial product is produced in a factory via a complicated industrial process. The 49th ingredient is datum. This odd acronym is very likely unknown to the vast majority of consumers. In fact, I didn't know what it was, so it must be a pretty new additive. Get ready for a mouthful. Here's what the acronym DATUM stands for. Diacetyl tartaric acid esters of mono and diglycerides. So you can definitely see the need for the acronym on the label. Just to understand where this ingredient comes from would require a degree in chemistry, so I'm not going there. Simply put, it functions as an emulsifier for keeping water and oily components from separating, similar to what eggs do in mayonnaise. You don't want to open up your warmed-up TV dinner and find oil floating on top of the macaroni and cheese. That'd be disgusting. The 51st ingredient is xanthan gum. This is a plant-based thickener added to give some viscosity to the cheese sauce so it's not runny. The 55th ingredient is beta-carotene. That's a natural plant-based orange coloring agent. The next ingredients represent the macaroni part of the macaroni and cheese, and they are all very common. I won't refer to them here. And then finally, the, the last ingredients are in the corn, and they also are very common. So that's it for the exploration of the ingredients in Banquet's Chicken Strips Meal. It's hard to believe there's over 60 ingredients in that small 9-ounce frozen package. Did you notice that there were no preservatives in this product? Why is that? You have 5 seconds to answer this question. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Time's up. The answer, of course, is that the dinner is frozen. There's no need for chemical preservatives in a frozen food. Out of curiosity, let's look at the ingredients that are derived from corn in this product. We have dextrose, shows up twice, yellow corn flour, cornstarch, modified cornstarch, shows up three times, maltodextrin, shows up twice, and whole corn. There are also ingredients that are indirectly obtained from corn since many food components are made from the fermentation of dextrose. The indirect ingredients obtained from corn are autolyzed yeast extract, shows up twice, citric acid, lactic acid, and xanthan gum. Adding the direct and indirect ingredients together gives 15 total ingredients associated with corn. Dividing 15 by 61 gives about 25%. So one-fourth of the ingredients in the banquet dinner 
come from corn, once again showing how we are a corn-fed nation. Why, you ask, are so many ingredients coming from corn? Well, that's the crop we grow massive amounts of in this country, so it has to go somewhere. For some really good insights into why corn has become so dominant in our food supply, check out the book called The Omnivore's Dilemma by the author Michael Pollan, or you can watch the documentary film called King Corn. Lastly, let's look at some of the nutrition facts for this banquet meal. There are 19 grams of fat per 252 grams of dinner. That comes to 7.5%. That's actually surprisingly low, considering that the battered chicken was fried. However, four of those 19 grams are saturated fat, which is not good for the cardiovascular system. A more telling number is the percent of calories contributed by the fat, which is 170 calories divided by 440 total calories in the dinner, which gives 39%. So over one-third of the dinner's calories actually come from fat. In the dinner is 35 milligrams of cholesterol. Health Central Online says that if a person has been diagnosed with heart disease, then their intake of cholesterol should be under 200 milligrams a day. So in this case, the 19 milligrams in, di in the dinner is, is really not that big a hit. What a surprise. What about the salt intake? There are 1,050 milligrams of salt. No surprise here, since salt shows up five times in the ingredients label, and there are other sodium additives. Is that bad? The Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day. So the banquet dinner contributes 46% of the daily sodium recommendation, which is pretty high for one meal. How is the fiber content? There are 8 grams of fiber. The Institute of Medicine recommends the following for men and women under the age of 51. 38 grams of fiber for men and 25 grams of fiber for women. So the banquet dinner would provide 21% for men and 32% for women as a daily requirement. That is probably adequate for women, but somewhat low for men. What about the sugar content? There are only 4 grams of sugar in the whole dinner, which is 1.6%, a pretty small amount. So that's it for today's food ingredient investigation. A note of caution. Be careful selecting foods like Conagra's banquet dinners. They are extremely processed, highly industrialized products that are not designed to provide a healthy meal for human beings. Of the 61 ingredients in this product, roughly 19 of them, or 31%, come out of factories. Signing off with this message, if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. <music>